This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by the book, The Connected Parent, Real Life Strategies for Building Trust and Attachment, written by the late Dr. Karen Purvis and me. This new book for parents and caregivers combines the rich experience and scientific insights of Dr. Karen Purvis with personal stories from my parenting journey. There is hope for every child, every parent, and every family. Find out more about the book and get a free resource at onethinkfulmom.com slash book. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hey friends, welcome to episode 91 of the Adoption Connection podcast. We have a fantastic story for you today, but we're also going to talk about something that I don't know that I always thought about coming into the adoption world as an adoptive mom, but this is something, Lisa, that you were always really passionate about as you became um, an adoptive parent, and it's ethical orphan care and adoption. Yes, you know, I've told my story before, but I... Honestly, still, well, not so much now, but I have found myself surprised by the fact that I am an adoptive mom because having, you know, being a birth or first mom and my son being adopted when I was a young teenager, um, I was a very wounded birth mom and at times very, very angry. And there were many unethical things that happened in his adoption. And so I didn't foresee myself becoming an adoptive mom, but when we did step into this, we were extremely intentional about making sure that our children were actually in need, that they actually needed a family. And, but even with our agency that we thought was very ethical, it turned out they weren't. And so it's hard. I don't think as adoptive parents, we sometimes we don't really want to know, right? But we need to know. We have to keep our eyes open. It's so important. Well, I think as someone who generally wants to believe the best in everyone, until I did some more research and, and read some more things, and I think even Melissa Faye Green, who's an author, has written a fair bit about this topic. It just had never occurred to me that there would be such a breakdown in the ethics part. I just assumed that kids that were being matched with families needed families, like you said. Like It just never occurred to me that there was something broken in the way that children might even be available for adoption. Yes. Yeah. I've heard many, many sad stories on both sides, you know, hearing about families in Ethiopia in particular, because that's the country where our children were from, hearing about their, their stories of losing their children and not even understanding what was happening. But also I have friends here who adopted from Ethiopia, fully believing that their children were orphaned. And they were devastated to find out that there was family and a mother in particular grieving for the loss of her children. So this can be very, very complicated. And there's a lot of subtlety. And it's, it's hard sometimes to figure out what is happening. But our guest today has really devoted her life work to helping, you know, to bringing to light the importance of ethics and adoption. 
Yeah, so I had a chance to sit down with Whitney Runyon, and she is the co-founder with her husband, Nick, of an organization called the Archibald Project. And it's kind of evolved over time, and she's going to tell a little bit of the story of how it came to be. Uh, It kind of started out as a storytelling organization to kind of promote adoption. And it's still definitely a storytelling organization, but now they've kind of shifted to bring awareness to the ethics in orphan care and adoption. And so she has a really fun story. They live in Texas and they have three children all adopted from the Congo. And she's going to tell a little bit about how they came to be adoptive parents because they actually had the Archibald project first, which I think is really interesting. So she is a fantastic storyteller and really fun. So I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Whitney. Whitney, welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. We told our audience already a little bit about just the basics of who you guys are. You're an adoptive family and you're doing some amazing work. I want to know a little bit more though about how you and Nick came to adoption. Um, well, honestly, I think it came became part of our story because it's our job. <laughs> we run an orphan care advocacy nonprofit and we live, breathe, everything is around orphan care kind of in our marriage. And so our own adoption came about through an organization that we worked with in 2015. Um, And honestly, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole backstory here, but so the Archibald Project, doing the Archibald Project led us to learn a lot about corruption within international adoption. And so we lived in Uganda from 20 or during 2015. And that kind of opened our eyes a lot to all the malpractices that can happen. It doesn't always happen, but it can happen in international adoption. And um, I said I would never probably do an international adoption because I could probably never be sure that my children truly, truly needed to be adopted internationally. And that never probably sealed the deal. That's exactly what God would have you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happened. Literally, we got an email from this organization and they wanted us to come document an adoption. And I just was so burnt out and frustrated. And I was just like, hey, how do you know these kids need to be adopted? How do you know they don't have family in the village? What are you doing to reunify children with biological family? All the things. And this woman just wrote back the best email. She was just like, you know, this is one of the first international adoptions they've done. They've resettled this many children with biological family. They don't just open their gates and just take in all the children. Um, They have paperwork trails. They have accountability you know, all the amazing things you want to hear. And so we said, yes, we'd go with them. We documented this adoption. We fell in love with the organization. And then my answer changed to, I will never do international adoption to, I probably won't do international adoption, but if I did, it would be through this organization because I could trust that they, they are doing the best thing for each individual children. A couple years later, when we got another email from them, we stayed in touch with them. But they asked us to be praying for this sibling group of three who they'd been trying to find a family for for a couple of years. And my husband and I were like, after a few conversations, we were like, what if we're not supposed to be praying for somebody to step up? Like, what if we're supposed to do it? Because we'd been wanting kids for years and 
we had been in the adoption world and it was through the organization that I'd said that I would adopt from internationally. And we didn't have kids and just kind of, there were a lot of reasons why we shouldn't have done it, but we just kind of came to this point where we're like, well, maybe we should. And it was really scary. And it took nine weeks for us to get on the same page. But once we finally did, we were committed and and we did it. We adopted three kids at once. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You said backstory. We're going to come back to that because we're all about a story here at the Adoption Connection. But yeah. I want to talk a little bit about those nine weeks where you guys weren't on the same page oh because I gosh. don't think that's uncommon, right? Where totally. one person, I would say stereotypically, it's the mom, although in our case, it was not. So oh, wow. but cool. I know crazy. So tell us a little bit about like what that was like, what were all the feels for you? And then mm-hmm. how did Nick finally come around? Yeah. So our story in general, like our dating, our engagement, our marriage, our starting our nonprofit, everything is just like out of a, the Nicholas Sparks book. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> the, I'm a Enneagram for like the Lord has been such, he's just really blessed me with a cool story. And I'm really thankful. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean that like, I know a story is not important to everybody, but I know the Lord made me as a, to be a storyteller and he didn't have to, but I feel like he's written a really beautiful story that I am just so thankful for. It's like that extra little touch, you know, that he didn't have to do. And so I figured how we would have kids would be the same way. Um, we started trying to have biological children, maybe like eight, years ago, nine years ago. And we just never got pregnant and neither my husband, Nick or myself felt like it was the right time to do anything by, uh, medically. And so we never did medical stuff. And then we started the Archibald project and I just kept saying like, I'm just going to know, like, it's just going to be this another like fairy book, fairy tales thing where we just, you know, it's perfect. And then we get this email and, and it wasn't this like beautiful monumental moment. It was just kind of like a real life matter of fact, like, Hey, these kids, new family, can you be praying for them? Initially I was not, neither of us were like, yes, this is it. Like we know for a fact we're supposed to do this. It was more of like a, what do we believe is right in this situation? Like, what do we not like a cheesy WWJD type thing, but like, what is God's heart here? And we believe that God cares about them. And we believe that God cares about us. And we have room in our house. Um, we don't have children. We've wanted children. And so I, I came to the, the, yeah, I came to my yes. It was a sobering. Yes. It was more of like a, okay, we're going to do this. And I'm excited, but I'm really scared because they're older. They were three and five at the time and twin, two twins that were three. Um, and you know, a harder past, like we knew some of their past at that point. And it was a big, real commitment. Um, it wasn't this, like, I don't want to use any words that would be dishonoring to my children if they listened to this, but it was very scary. I will say that. Um, so I, but I jumped right in, you know, I'm the mom, I've been wanting kids for years. I had not had children at this point. All my friends are on kid number three or four. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, this is going to be hard, but I can do it. 
And Nick was not there. <laughs> he was just like, you know, this is very real. These are human beings that have very deep trauma. And I don't know if this is the best for them. Like, I want to be pr- really prayerful. And I don't want to just do something because you want to do it. Um, you know, we'd heard all the like sad horror stories of people do like one spouse saying yes, because the other spouse wanted to, and then it ended up like ruining their marriage. And so Nick was very adamant and my, I was too, but just like, I really respected the way he said, I'm going to get there on my own and I will be very diligent about praying and seeking an answer. And he did, he did a lot of fasting and seeking counsel and he talked to other adoptive parents of multiple children and he went out camping a bunch of, a few times by himself or with a guy friend. And he came to this realization where he was journaling and he felt like the Lord say, I, I'm going to bless you if you do this. And I'm going to bless you if you don't, it's not necessarily a right or wrong. It's just knowing that, do you believe that I love you and that I'm going to take care of you regardless of what you do? He came to me and said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> so it's very anticlimactic. <laughs> well, it, it is and it isn't because that foundation and that story, you know, when it does get hard, you'll have that to come back to, to say oh, like, we're, we, we're there. <laughs> yeah. Like we thought about this. It was intentional, you know, and, and something maybe that you'll even feel led to share with your kids. Like dad really like prayed about this. Like, this is what we were called to do. This is like, we were meant to do this. And so no matter how hard it gets, we know that we're in the right place. And we know that God's in it, even when it feels like, yeah, how could he let it go this way? (laughs) Absolutely. And honest. So we, we said yes in September or August of 2017. And then we went and spent a week with him and we did a bonding trip. And then when we got back, we had nine months where we came home and then we moved to the Republic of Congo, which is where they're from. And we were there for seven months waiting to finalize the adoption, living with them. We were basically fostering them while we were there. And it was the hardest seven months of my life, of Nick's life as well. And if, if he had not come to that conclusion on his own, that those seven months uh, would have ruined our marriage. But like, I had such confidence in the hard, even when I'd be crying to him being like, do you, or like, do you hate me? Or do, yeah. you re- or do you blame me? And he was like, no, absolutely not. And he was solid in that answer. Every time he's like, I, I chose this. I pursued the Lord. Like, this is our choice. Like you did your yes. I did my yes. And so we're in it forever. And I was like, that is such a peaceful answer to know that I did not manipulate him in any way to do this. Yeah. Okay. So tell me the story of how you met. Is it fairy tale? <laughs> well, the the quick answer is we just met cliff jumping with a friend. Yes, you just met cliff jumping. <laughs> I mean, crazy. I've heard that all the time, Whitney. Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. It's a pretty standard answer. Okay. Um, how old were you? Oh, I don't know. I was in college, so Nick didn't do the traditional college route. He's a, he was an airline pilot. Um, so he was doing pilot flight school in Florida. And then I think he was, he bounced around all over doing different types of trainings. His best friend that he did flight school with dropped out of flight school and moved to Austin. And that's basically how we met. But we were in China on a mission trip, his friend and I in college. And I was really into the Save Darfur movement. Do you remember that? 
Yeah. I had a bracelet on that said save Darfur and the friend was like, Hey, what's that? And I explained it to him and I was like, I'm going to go to Darfur when I graduate college. And I gave him my bracelet that said save Darfur. Well, the friend Jonathan actually did go. He left like six months later and he became a missionary there for months and months and months. So then when Jonathan flew home, Nick, my husband came to welcome him back to America. And so we all went cliff jumping to welcome Jonathan home. But as I'm meeting this cute guy and I'm talking to him, I, he has this bracelet on. And I was like, oh, I used to have a bracelet like that. And he was like, what do you, well, Jonathan gave it to me before he left for Sudan. And I was like, that's my bracelet. <laughs> and then just like, I don't know, years went by and he randomly called me up and was like, hey, I just want to take you. I just want to know if you want to go out on a date. And I was like, I live in LA and you live in Chicago. And he's like, well, I'm an airline pilot. <laughs> I can fly out to see you. And so he flew out and we had a whole date, like the whole day was just like 12 hours together. And then I dropped him off at a friend's house, uh, his friend, and he spent the next like three or four months pursuing me, trying to take me out again. But I kind of had my guard up thinking, oh, he's just a pilot. He can just fly out to any girl. Like, no, yeah, you're just one of many. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I kept saying no. And in that meantime, I had moved up to San Francisco from L.A., and he, I finally let him come back out on another date and we're late. And he's just like, so sweet, like such a gentleman the whole time. And I might be telling way too many details here. I'm sorry. You can cut this out, but we were laying up by the full households, you know, or the houses, the yeah, yeah, yeah. seven painted ladies. And I'm laying there and he gets this look in his eyes. And I was like, Oh no, that boy is about to try to kiss me. And he rolls over and he stops like, one inch from my face and I opened my eyes and he's right there. And I just go, Oh, I kind of yell at his face. He rolls over. I sit up and I'm like, I immediately go, how many girls have you slept with? (laughs) Maybe TMI for your podcast. And he looks at me and he goes, none. And I was like, Oh, you're not this like flirty pilot guy taking girls out all over America. Uh, And then I fell in love and nine months later we got married. So great. I think it's hysterical that you took him at his word. I mean, that's a skeptic in me. (laughs) No, he's so sweet. He's just like, if you met Nick, I think you would take him at his word too. He's I'm just joking with you. (laughs) No, I know. I know. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's a good guy. He's a good catch. Okay. So married and then how long before you guys jumped into the Archibald project and tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah. So we're married. Um, he's an airline pilot. I was a wedding photographer and we really wanted to be able to use our crafts together. And I was at this place in my mind where I was super legalistic in my faith. And I thought if you weren't a missionary, then do you really love God? Um, which I now know is not, you know, true. So, um, I don't know. I was just really like wanting to do something with photography and serving people. I felt in my spirit that I was supposed to email this girl that I went to high school with and ask her if I could photograph her two-year-old daughter. And so I did. And then on that photo shoot, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I here? Why am I photographing this girl? Didn't feel anything. And so at the very end, I was like, so are you guys going to have more children? And she was like, well, we're actually in the process of adopting. And I was like, it felt like the clouds parted and I felt in my spirit, you're supposed to go with them and photograph their adoption. And so I looked at the woman and I was like, I think I'm supposed to go with you and photograph your adoption. She was like, uh, to Bulgaria. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think 
uh, she was sure. like, let me talk, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was like, let me talk to my husband. And I was like, oh yeah, let me talk to my husband too. But because he was an airline pilot, again, like I just feel like the Lord just combined it so perfectly that because Nick was an airline pilot, he and I could travel non-rev for free last minute's notice with this dad adopting a seven-year-old boy with Down syndrome to Bulgaria. And we did, we got on all of his flights. It was perfect. We went to the orphanage. We photographed this adoption. We thought it was really beautiful and touching. And so we put the pictures online, not thinking much of it. And then um, a few weeks later, a total stranger emailed me and said, Hey, I just want to let you know that because of your photos, we found our son and now we're adopting a chronically ill child from Ukraine. Um, so thank you. And that's when Nick and I were like, wait, photos can get kids adopted. What? So we got with a lawyer, we formed a 501c3 and we named it after the little Bulgarian boy, Archie. His name is Archie Archibald. And so it's called the Archibald Project. And we started using Nick's flight benefits to kind of travel the world and document international adoptions. And then in 2013 is when we were in Uganda for the first time. And that's kind of when we started seeing a little bit of the corruption and the hard side, not with the family we were with, but just through a few other people we had met. Um, and so we kept going back to learn more. And then we moved, we quit our job. He quit being an airline pilot. I quit shooting weddings and we took the nonprofit full time and we moved to Uganda in 2015 and haven't looked back. It's crazy. How long did you guys live in Uganda? We were only there half the year. Um, but that kind of shifted. So basically we do storytelling for orphan care. Um, and that really shifted our voice to being more about like ethical orphan care and highlighting organizations that are doing all types of care for vulnerable children and family and less away from international adoption. What are some of the cool things that you see in countries that are kind of thinking outside the box in terms of orphan care? Yeah. Oh my gosh. My favorite. So we, so when we came back from Uganda, we were like, how do we tell the West? How do we write a different narrative for this international crisis going on? So we got this idea to make a little kind of like orphan care travel show. It's called the advocates. And basically I'm the host and we go to different countries and we learn about what's going on in those specific countries in the world of orphan care and what they're doing to help. Um, and one of my favorite episodes is when we were in Thailand and we were on the Thailand Myanmar border and we were working with this Burmese man who had crossed over. He was a refugee. And then he started working with this organization called global child advocates. Um, they have basically, they recruit people to become foster parents. So locals that are foster parents and they get children out of trafficking that are crossing over between the borders of Thailand and Myanmar. And they, um, they have a child daycare so that moms and dads can go to work, but also make sure their kids are not going into orphanages um, or living on the streets or being um, a product of child trafficking. And then they do recruitment and training for foster care. And then in some cases, they try to do domestic adoption, but they're not an orphanage by any means. And so the way they do, basically the reason I love them so much is you think 
oh, these people are so poor. They're so poor. They're living like in the city dump. Like they're, they're very, 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 very poor. You would think they wouldn't take in a, a vulnerable child. They would, they wouldn't adopt a vulnerable child. They wouldn't foster care, you know, cause we have all these reasons in our head in America is like, oh, well, my house isn't big enough or, oh, I don't make enough money or whatever. It is the most humbling experience to meet a woman who is barely making it by herself and she's opened up her home to two or three children in need because she believes like, oh, I've got the space. I've got, like, I, I can do this. But, oh my gosh, it's very different than people's mindsets here. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the stuff that we're loving. We're loving organizations that are saying, you can do this. We don't need to interdopt our, our internationally adopt children out. Like our locals, we can empower you to help get the kids out of the orphanages in our own community. And then we love organizations where if it is an orphanage, they don't just have this open gate policy where any child can come in. They, you know, they really look into mother, father, grandmother, auntie, where they come from in the village. And it does this child absolutely have to be in an orphanage. So those are those types of things that we are into right now. I love it. I love it. So you knew a lot about adoption coming into this just because you were watching a lot of other families go through it. Was there still anything that surprised you now that you're an adoptive mom? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can say it on this podcast, but oh, yes. (laughs) Your podcast has like truly saved us in so many different ways. I'm not kidding. That's why I feel so... um, inadequate to be a guest on your podcast, but I, your podcast and the guests you have talked to has really helped our family. So thank you. Well, that's really sweet. I love it. Um, tell us what, how people get involved with the Archibald project. Cause it's a 501 C three. So obviously we could just send you buckets of money. Right. right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, are there other ways that people can get involved besides financially? Yeah. So right now, because we're a storytelling nonprofit, um, the idea is people, and this is actually proven, but you're more likely to do something when you see somebody else doing it first. And so with adoption and foster care and family preservation and all the things we believe and we have seen that when people see the Archibald Project's stories, then they start thinking about it for their own lives and then they are moved into some type of action. And so right now, the best way, the easiest way is to share, like follow the Archibald Project on Instagram and Facebook and our website and all of our videos on YouTube. But then just sharing that with your friends and family um, and listening to podcasts and sharing the podcasts with your friends and family. And then we're actually in the process of redoing our website. And so we're going to have a few different ways for people to get involved Um, But mainly we like connecting people with organizations in their own cities. Um, So if you see something from the Archibald Project and you're inspired, you can always reach out and ask, like, how do I do this in my town? Or are there any organizations like this in my city? I was just having a conversation with a couple other moms recently. You know, sometimes it feels like we don't have any more space in our lives to do one more thing, you know, to start a new project or to even get involved. but. Also, if you're in a really tough season with your kids, there's something extremely cathartic and therapeutic about kind of distracting yourself with the service project and kind of just getting outside of the hard 
um, and giving yourself purpose and even just having something that you can complete. So even if it's a volunteer day with someone and you can get from the beginning to the end, that that does a lot for our, our mental health. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Purpose. Um, so I love it. That's well, awesome. thank, thanks for all the work that you're doing and for giving us a window thank you for all the work you're doing <laughs> and for giving us a window into your life. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just love everything that you do and uh, your gift as a photographer, obviously your Instagram feed and all the stuff is <laughs> well, thank you. fun to watch. Uh, thanks. thanks so much. Is there anything like one Thing that you would want to leave with our people before we sign off? Something that we've learned in the Archibald, starting the Archibald project, continuing the Archibald project, and then our own adoption is to just not give up when your emotions tell you to. When things get really, really hard, I feel like we're in this, we live in a world of instant gratification and we want to gratify ourselves when when things are uncomfortable. And so, especially in adoption um, or starting a business, like it's just really hard. It's really, really hard. And everything in your soul can scream to run the other way. Um, But I think just so much life and beauty and character building comes from sticking in it um, and not listening to your emotions, but really honoring your commitment and what your word is. And so I think that's one of my like, I just want to scream that from the rooftops. Just like, just don't give in to your emotions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're fooling you. They're fooling yes, you. <laughs> they're tricking all of us. <laughs> it's, it's a game. Yeah. Well, it's good. And we can't, um, you know, we can't make our decisions in a vacuum either side, like thinking without taking into account feelings or uh, reacting yeah. to just the emotions. So that's yeah. stuff. Thank you so much. Well, you're a busy lady and we're in quarantine. And so there are probably little people that need you, but I appreciate you (laughs) taking the time uh, to hang out with us and thank you. excited to continue to follow the Archibald project and all the good stuff you guys are doing. Thanks. Thanks. There are a lot of things I love about Whitney's story, but going back to something that's maybe not the hugest part is the way their lives and their talents were woven together. I mean, we've got an airline pilot and a wedding photographer who now, all these years later, have formed this really wonderful nonprofit and combined their skills and their talents. And I I just think that's, it's so interesting how God works, you know, that he sees things that we don't see that we wouldn't have even imagined. And the work they're doing is so beautiful and so important. I just love that they were thinking outside the box, right? That they thought of all the possibilities. Like this isn't something that you grow up kind of imagining that you'll do. It's not a, it's not a major in college, right? It's literally like, Hey, you can do this thing and I can do this thing. And this opportunity is in front of us. What if we, you know, and so I think the, the adventure seven in me really appreciates that. Um, I'm kind of wishing I was her actually. I'm like, Oh, I wish that had happened to me. Um, (laughs) I think the other part that's really important too is I think when we hear orphan care, at least when I do, I often think third world countries, Haiti, Ethiopia, international, and certainly a lot of what the Archibald project does is outside of US borders. But since we're talking about ethics and adoption, that this is something that's 
worldwide, including here in the States, even though we have so much more infrastructure and kind of the rule of law here, but in our not very distant past, there have been some pretty big corruptions and, you know, big things. And I recently read the book Before We Were Yours, which is technically a novel. It's fictional characters, but it's based on a true story and it is very relevant to ethics and adoption. So if you're a book person and you particularly like either adoption theme books or kind of historical fiction, um, you can pop this on your summer reading list. It's by Lisa Wingate. I enjoyed that book. It was, I mean, there were points of it that were really sad and really hard, but I do think it gives a good glimpse into some of the realities of what has happened here in our country with adoption. So the best place to find Whitney Runyon is on Instagram at she's at Whit Runyon and also at the Archibald project. And she is a photographer. So be prepared for a beautiful Instagram experience. We will have uh, links to her website and other places you can find her in the show notes. We'll also have a link to the book that Melissa mentioned that we both enjoyed. And you can find all of that at the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 91. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.